We are in our fifth and final session this morning on uh, the book of Colossians. And this is uh, entitled, Jesus is All the World to Me. And we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter five, or 4, verses 2 through 18. <clears throat> but I want to begin this morning by just letting you know that the sun, the sun is the center of our universe. Um, it gives us heat. It gives us light. Without it, all, earth, all life on earth would, would end up dying. Um, if the earth was any closer to the sun, we would all burn up. Um, if it was any further away, we would all freeze to death. Um, everything in this universe revolves around the sun. Without the sun, we would have no hope. We would have no life. God knew what he was doing, didn't he? Amen. God knows exactly what he's doing. So now let's talk about the real son. Jesus is the son of God. Uh, Jesus lights the way to God for us. Jesus shelters us in the warmth of his love. Jesus needs to be the center of our lives. He needs to be the center of our universe. Um, did you know that in heaven, Jesus will be the only light that we will ever need? In Revelation chapter 21, verse 23, it says, The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. That's going to be interesting to see. I, I can't completely understand that. But that's the way it's going to be. We won't need the moon and, and, and the sun. And if you'll notice the last couple nights that you've been able to see, the, the moon has been out. We've had a full moon, and it really does get bright. Well, we won't even need that anymore when we're in heaven. I think that is awesome. So if Jesus, the Son of God, is not the center of your life, I hope you will allow him to become the focus of your life today so that we can all say with the Apostle Peter, remember what the Apostle Peter said? He said in, 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 in John chapter 6, verses 68 and 69, he said, Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know, he says, that you are the Holy One of God. So, so what God has done for humanity is point to his son and proclaim that Jesus, behold, Jesus is the center of it all. It is all about him. It's all about Jesus. And again, as I've asked you these last four weeks, including today now, this fifth week, is Jesus all the world to you? Is he all the world to you? These past few weeks, we've been studying the book of Colossians, um, which, it, which I believe it's all about Jesus. And it, it is, it's not just this book, but rather life, the universe, and I believe everything in this universe needs to revolve around Jesus. Amen? It needs to revolve around him. That, that's, that's what it's all about. In the first chapter of Colossians, Paul describes Jesus as our creator. If you remember way back, he, he describes him as our creator. You know, all things were created by him and for him, it said. 
in, in Colossians 1.15. He is our commander-in-chief, and, and he is our connection to God the Father. So he is our creator, our commander, and our connection. And then in the second chapter, Paul assures us that Jesus is what? Jesus is enough. Absolutely, Jesus is enough. You know, we can find fulfillment and completeness in Jesus. In other words, if you have Jesus, you have everything. You have everything. If you have Jesus, you have everything. And throughout the rest of the book, what Paul does is he, he sketches out what the Christ-centered life is supposed to look like. And see, that should be your life. That should be your life and my life what that Christ-centered life looks like. He talks about focusing on Jesus. And, and, and remember, he talked about fashion there, clothing ourselves with Christ. And he, he talked about how Jesus ought to alter our relationship with our spouses, with our children, with our co-workers. And finally, as Paul brings this letter to a close in chapter 4 here, he touches on three aspects of this all about Jesus life. And I want to talk about them today. The first aspect, Paul reminds us that this all about Jesus life is a life of prayer. That's what he says to us. I know that you have heard me say many times, and you're probably getting tired of me saying this all the time, but prayer changes things. It does. It changes things. Prayer is so important in the life of the Christian. You know, I am reminded of the little girl who was praying up a storm one night, and she concluded her prayer by saying, Before I finish, God, please take care of my mommy and my daddy, and please take care of my baby brother, and dear God, please take care of yourself. If anything happens to you, we're all done for. Isn't that the truth? Amen? But sadly... Prayer has been on the decline in recent years. You know, I don't know where people get these statistics, but they, there's people out there that, that do these things all the time. It's stated while a majority, 55% of Americans claim to pray at least once a day, the share of adults who seldom or never pray has increased from 18% to 23% since 2007. Now, where they got that statistic, I don't know, but I'm going with it. Even though, even those of us who try to make prayer a priority, we tend to struggle. You know, I was preaching up at um, Grover's, uh, the Church of Christ at Grover on Wednesday night. That, that was their revival. And I made the statement that Jesus stated that the, the, um, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And that's where I think we get with our prayer life sometimes. You know, we, we want to pray, but we end up tending to struggle with that. Many of us have good intentions when it comes to prayer, but sometimes some of us get so busy and distracted that our prayer life falls by the wayside. And I want to tell you, if we, if we truly believe that prayer changes things, we can't allow that to happen. We really can't. You know, for some of us, it's like prayer is the last resort when all else fails, and we all know that it should be the first thing that we do. Shouldn't it? Prayer should be the first thing that we do. But listen to what Paul says about prayer. This is what he writes. 
He says in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 there, he says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. That's what he tells us. Paul urges us to devote, to be devoted to prayer. What do you think that means? What do you think it means when he says be devoted to prayer? Well, the word that is translated devote implies this unrelenting persistence. How many of you are unrelenting in your persistence on anything? (laughs) Unrelenting persistence. It's the opposite of hit and miss. It's the opposite of hit and miss. And I would say that sometimes maybe my prayer life is hit and miss. I don't know. But the Amplified amplified version of, of this translation translates this passage this way. He says, it says this, be persistent and devoted to prayer. So be, be just be consistent at it, persistent at it, and be devoted. In other words, don't bail, don't give up. Be consistent and committed in your prayer life. That's what he's telling us there. So, so you may have dry times and days when you don't know what you know to say or you're, you're struggling with it, you know, and you don't feel like you, that your, your prayers are, are getting past the ceiling in your house. But we need to keep praying anyway. We need to keep praying anyway. Jesus likewise said this. He says this in Luke chapter 11, verse 9. This is what he says. He says, and so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. That idea of keeping on, keeping on, is this, this consistent, persistent, devoted prayer time. But I want you to notice something else here. Paul also tells us to pray with an alert mind. He tells us to pray with an alert mind, you know, to, to be, be of sober mind. And, and, and that word, um, other translations say to be watchful, that we need to be watchful. In other words, we need to be looking for opportunities and occasions to be praying. Do you do that? Do you look for opportunities? Have you asked the Lord, Lord, you know what? I, I want my prayer life to, to be stronger than ever. Bring opportunities to me that I will visibly see that I can be praying for. That's what he wants for us. In other words, we need to be looking for opportunities and occasions to pray, whether that means praying for our own needs, praying for someone else's needs, praying for our church praying for our community, praying for our country, whatever it is that we have the opportunity and we see it and we take that opportunity. It's right in front of us. So as we become more alert to the needs around us, what happens is, and the perceptive in our own prayers, what happens is that Jesus is going to begin to transform us from being prayer wimps to prayer warriors. You know, when you go by Dave Stevens' house, you can tell that he appreciates the, the men of, of war. 
you know, he's got things out in his yard there, and I do appreciate it. He's got the flag. He's got things out there in his yard that, that show that. That's what, that's what we need here. We, need, we don't need prayer wimps. We need prayer warriors that are willing to stand up for the Lord. That's what we need. He desperately wants the church and needs the church to be prayer warriors. Absolutely. One more thing before we move on. Notice that Paul says also here to pray with a thankful heart. You know, prayer is about praising God. It's about thanking Him for all that He has done and all that He is in our life. And I would hope and pray that we would all be thankful, that we would, that we would do that. You know, just the word thanks, I believe, lifts up the spirit, doesn't it? I think it does. To, to say thanks is, is to celebrate a gift, uh, something, anything. It doesn't matter what it is. To say thanks is, is to, to cross the tracks from the have not to, to have much from grumbling to being gratified or or having gratitude in your heart. Thanks, what it does is it proclaims that that I'm not disadvantaged, I'm not disabled, I'm not victimized, I'm not scandalized, forgotten or ignored. I am blessed. I am blessed. Gratitude is in some ways a dialysis of sorts. What it does is it flushes out self-pity right out of our systems. And it makes us to be thankful people for all that God has done for us. And, and, and we show that gratitude towards Him. See, in the Scripture, the idea of giving thanks is not a suggestion or a recommendation. You know what it is? It's a command. It is a command of ours. You know, time and again, the Bible issues commands like this one. He says in Psalm 106, verse 1, it says, Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His love endures forever. More, more than a hundred times, you know, either by imperative or example, the Bible commands us to be thankful. You know, if, if quantity implies gravity, you know, God takes thanksgiving extremely seriously. So first Paul says that this all about Jesus' life, this is Jesus all the world to me, life is a life of prayer. The second thing that he points out here is that it's a life of proclamation. That's the second aspect. It's it's a life of proclamation. You know, I've shared this before, but I think it's worth sharing it with you again. In 1886... After the state of Georgia passed the prohibition laws, a young man by the name of John Pemberton invented a carbonated non-alcoholic drink which he thought would appeal to Americans given the prohibition against alcohol. And what it was marketed as, does anybody know what it was marketed as? It It was marketed as a soft drink as opposed to a hard liquor drink. And, and contained a mixture of cocoa beans and cola beans, which inspired the name what? Coca-Cola, that's right. John first started selling this soft drink in, in Atlanta, Georgia. Actually, I think he sold it out of a pharmacy. 
but had a, a grand dream that within a hundred years, every person on the face of the earth would have tasted it. How many of you have ever tasted Coke? Let me see your hands. Up high. Okay, so every single person in this room has tasted Coke. His dream came true. <laughs> you know, he, he didn't quite reach the goal, but, but he, he was pretty successful. To this day, it is estimated that 51% of all people living on, in the world, in the, on the whole planet, have actually tasted Coke. 72% have at least seen a bottle of Coke or a can of Coke. And 97% have at least heard about Coke. So that, that's pretty good. It, you know, maybe his dream wasn't completely made, but I mean, it was pretty close. So let's, let's do some comparisons now. In comparison, only an estimated 73% of the world has ever heard of Jesus Christ. And I guarantee you, a whole lot fewer have actually tasted what he has to offer. That's interesting. So I wonder how different things might be if Christians were as passionate about sharing Christ as John Pemberton was about sharing Coke. Hmm. If we tried as hard as he did to, to put Bibles instead of bottles in the hands of people all over the world. You know, it's not easy to share your faith, though, is it? It just isn't. It, it's really hard. Maybe, maybe you're just not an extroverted person. Anybody here consider themselves an introvert? I would, I would have considered myself an introvert until I met my wife. No, I'm kidding, not my wife. But until, until, until I went to Bible college, I, I really, you know, when I went to Bible college, I wasn't planning on staying in Bible college. I was only going to go there for a year. And then I met Terry Silence. And things changed. But you know, um, it's not easy. It's not easy. Maybe you, you don't know what you're supposed to say or how to approach the subject. And of course, there's always that fear factor. There's always a fear factor. You know, w look at the fear factor around COVID. Look at the fear factor around getting sick and all that in, in these days. It, it's really, it's awful. But it's that fear factor. And for, and for sharing the, the gospel, it's the fear of being rejected. Nowadays, many are so afraid that, what, what if I offend someone? You know, I don't want to offend someone. What, what if I, what if it turns into an argument? You know, it's, it's that, what if I ruin an otherwise perfectly good friendship? Well, my, my feeling is it's not going to be a perfectly good friendship if you're not willing to share the, the, the about the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You're not being a true friend to them if you don't do that. The Colossian Christians, I think, might have had some of the same concerns. You know, after urging the Colossian Christians to be devoted to prayer, what Paul does is he asks them to pray specifically for him. Notice what he says here. He says in Colossians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, he says, And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Wow. Paul's mind is obviously on sharing the gospel, sharing Jesus. 
um, sharing Jesus with the world. That's what he wants. So after asking them to pray for him, to have opportunities to witness, he then turns it around and reminds them that sharing Jesus is everyone's responsibility. And here's what he says in verses 5 and 6. He says, Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. That's what he tells us there. First, Paul starts to be smart about it and make the most of every opportunity. That means we need to to be on the lookout for opportunities, always looking for opportunities to share Jesus. You know, and, and those things present themselves in all different kinds of ways. You could be standing in the grocery line and have the opportunity to share. You could be sitting at a doctor's office. You know, doctor's offices are always a good place to do it because people are so worried that, you know, they might not make it, you know, and, and so th- there's an opportunity to share Jesus with someone. But we're supposed to be looking for those opportunities to be able to share Jesus. You know, this really isn't as difficult or awkward as it might sound. It's just a matter of sparking some kind of spiritual conversation with them. You know, if you're telling someone who is new in the neighborhood where to find uh, the, the best restaurants or the best coffee shops, you could add in there, oh, and by the way, I also know where this great church is located on Tallow Hill Road. <laughs> so if you're interested, just let me know. You know, if a friend or a coworker asks you about your weekend plans, you might tell them about that wedding that you're planning to attend or that deer stand that you're going to be sitting in on Saturday. But then you could say, but on Sunday, I'm going to be going to church. 1350 Tallow Hill Road, if you want to join us. You know, Lucy of the, of the Peanuts comic strip. I, I love, I love, um, the, the Peanuts. They're, they're great. Charlie Brown and, she had a special way of sharing her religious beliefs with someone. I'm going to tell you about it. Lucy says to Charlie Brown, I would have made a great evangelist, she said. And Charlie Brown, of course, he answers in his, in his own monotone way, is that so? She, she says, yes, I, I convinced the boy in front of me at school today that my religion is better than his religion. And Charlie Brown asks, well, how did you do that? And Lucy answered, I hit him over the head with my lunchbox. That's how. <laughs> you know, while that might work for Lucy, I don't recommend that. And I don't think Paul is recommending that as the kind of outreach that he had in mind. In fact, notice that Paul also says our conversation should be gracious and attractive. Some translations say that it should be seasoned with salt. What does salt do? It makes food taste better, yeah. Or it raises your blood pressure, one of the two. You know, one, of, one of those two. Salt enhances the flavor in it and it makes food more appetizing. So salty speech in Paul's day referred to pleasing and engaging discussion. You know, it was the opposite of being boring or belligerent or abrasive. But the point is this. If you want to share Jesus with someone... You need to do it in a positive and a pleasant way. 
It can't be like taking, how many of you have that, that big Bible, that big 50-pound hunk of Bible that you sit on your coffee tables? How, how many of you have one of those? Okay, well, I, I'm surprised that more of you didn't raise your hand on that one. Yeah, because I, I know at home when we were there, we always had that Bible sitting on the coffee table right there, and that thing was like this big, you know, and it was like that thick. And it, one, one of those things that, you know, if, a, if an intruder broke in, you could pound him over the head with that Bible, and it would knock him right out. I'm telling you what, that's how big that thing was. That's not what he wants you to do, though. <laughs> you need to, it needs to be in a positive and a pleasant way. No matter how much sense the, the, the message of Christ makes, you know, we lose our effectiveness if we're not courteous and kind. As Tim McGraw would say, humble and kind. We need to be that. So, first, the all about Jesus life is a life of prayer. Furthermore, it's a life of proclamation. But then, finally, it's a life of and about people. That's what it is. It's a life of and about people. See, the very last section of his letter, Paul, it's like a benediction. That's what he makes it. It's a benediction. It's a closing. It's the part you usually skip or you just skim over with all you know your Bible reading. It's kind of trying. It's like it's kind of like trying to read the genealogies of Jesus and Matthew and, and Luke. How many of you really like to sit down and read those? You know, don't you just kind of just just jump through them because oh, I don't need to read all that. It would be interesting though if you would because there's a lot of good stuff in that. But Paul is wrapping things up here, and he just wants to acknowledge some people. You know, this person sends their greetings and say hi to that person for me. But I think, I think this last little bit of Colossians helps paint a powerful picture and a reminder to all of us about the all about Jesus' life is best lived if it's lived in community, if it's lived in fellowship with God's people, you know, being a part of a, of a body of believers that we're not alone in this world, we're not alone in our struggles, but it's, it's about being in community with one another. And this is what he says. He says, Tychicus will tell you that all the news about me, he is, he is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who, who is one of you, and they will tell you everything that is happening here. He says, my fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have, you have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. And then he says, Epaphras, who is one of you, and a servant of Jesus Christ sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in, in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard 
for you and for those at Laodicea and Heriopolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas, they send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and, and, and the church in, in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. And then he says here, he says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. And he says, grace be with you. Grace be with you. In these closing verses from verse 7 to verse 18 there, Paul mentions nine different people by name. And each one of these people played a very powerful and important role in the work of Jesus and in his life. Notice Tychicus there was a beloved brother and, and a helpful and a helpful servant. Uh, Onesimus was a runaway slave who converted to Christ as now a, a missionary delivering Paul's reports. Aristarchus kept Paul company while he was in prison. Mark, who once abandoned Paul during a mission trip, if you remember back in Acts when they did all the mission journeys, the mission trip journeys, he was one that abandoned Paul during a mission trip, is now making up by carrying the gospel far and wide. You know, he. Th this is what we would call a, a real second chance success story. Justice is one of those guys working behind the scenes. He's so humble that what he does is he changes his name from Jesus to justice. Epaphras is a prayer warrior, constantly praying for God's people everywhere. Luke, of course, is the resident scholar, doctor, who wrote some of the New Testament. Demas, Demas is the one that is kind of a sad story. You know, if you don't believe in the idea of uh, that you can fall away, that you know you, you believe this once saved, always saved, well, his story really kind of brings light to the fact that that the, that is a wrong teaching of the Bible and that you can fall away because Demas is one of those. We find in 2 Timothy that Demas eventually deserts Paul because he loved this world. Um, I don't know if he ever came back to the faith, but I'll bet you any amount of money Epaphras was praying heartily for him to do that, to come back. And then finally we see Archippus. Archippus was the local pastor at Colossae. And Paul urged him to carry out, to continue to carry out his ministry. You know, so that, that's a long list of people, and I don't expect you to remember all their names, but what I want you to see is this. The most important part of this is that none of them could have done alone what they can all do together. That's what's important about it. You know, in Ripley's Believe It or Not show, it highlighted the story of an unusual creature. I, I, I don't know, really know how to say this. The Nana Omia Kara jellyfish. You know, it is, it's a type of jellyfish that lives in huge clusters with other jellyfish. They live really close together. Some in the colony catch food. Others in the colony digest the food for the rest of them. That's gross. You know, 
Others provide propulsion. And yet still others in the, in the colony are the ones that lay the eggs. They are individual organisms, and yet they are interdependent upon one another. So, and, and I just want to tell you this. So is the church. So is the church. Everyone has something that they can do to help the church fulfill its mission. Every single one of you in this room has something that you can do to fulfill the mission of the church. We are the weaker when anyone in the church does not do his or her part. But we are strongest when we all work together. Amen? When we all work together. And God has given each of us a mission and a ministry. And none of us can do alone what all of us can do together, what we can all accomplish together. So as I close today... Paul brings this short letter to a close. And what he does is he reminds the Colossian church and us by extension of all this that the all about Jesus life is a life of prayer. It is a life of proclamation and a life about God's people working together to bring glory and honor to Jesus' name. That's what it's all about. Is Jesus all the world to you? Here's what the song says. Jesus is all the world to me, my life, my joy, my all. He is my strength from day to day. Without him I would fall. When I am sad, to him I go. No other one can cheer me so. When I am sad, he makes me glad because he's my friend. Jesus is all the world to me. I want no better friend. I trust him now. I'll trust him when life's fleeting days shall end. Beautiful life with such a friend. Beautiful life that has no end. We call it eternal life, eternal joy. You know why? Because Jesus is my friend. And on the day when we have to stand before God, guess who's going to stand up for you? He's going to to be between the Father and you, and he is going to say, this one belongs to me. He belongs to me. She belongs to me. They were my faithful friends. And so as the band makes their way up right now, my prayer for each of you as we bring this series to a close is that you would make Jesus the very center of your life. That Jesus would be all the world to you. When everything revolves around Jesus, our whole lives come into alignment, our marriages come into alignment, our homes, our work, our focus, our fight, our fashion. You know, we find fulfillment in Jesus. And what he does is he alters the course of our lives. That's what he does. So if you haven't put your, you you put Jesus at the center of your life, if you haven't done that yet, this morning is a great time to do it. There's not a lot of people here. It won't be as bad for you. You know, it's the, you'll have to be in front of every, a lot of people. Tonight, today would be the day to do it. You know, because it, it's all about Jesus. And life, I'm telling you what now, life makes more sense when Jesus is the one that's at the center of it. Amen?